Hello, and welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Gosselin Martin Associates. Thanks for listening today. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Gosselin Martin Associates. As you know, the High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management professional, which is also the focus of Gosselin Martin Associates. I want to do something a bit different with today's podcast. I have no guest, so you are stuck listening to me. But in this telecast, I want to speak a little bit about the current market, the current job market, and the job-seeking process. In our role um, as healthcare facility management consultants, um, we speak with a lot of candidates, we speak with a lot of HR departments, and there's always, um, there's always questions around job-seeking, um, resumes, what to do during an interview, going through the deal. So I want to look a little bit uh, at that, but also overlay uh, the market of today, which has really changed, as you know, uh, since February or so. There's really a pre-COVID market, which we started the year at, and now there's COVID, post-COVID. And um, I think the market has changed substantially with final outcomes yet to be determined. Uh, Before getting into that, though, I just want to bring to your attention, as you may have seen, we recently introduced um, our Career Hub website, and it can be found at careers.goslin-associates.com. You can also link to it off of our website at goslinassociates.com. Uh, so there's two ways to get to it. But on the Careers Hub website, and you know, Jack and I have talked about doing a career site for a number of years now, um, and finally rolled it out this year. I don't know if the timing is good or not. It's just when it happened to um, when it happened to become available. But on the site, um, you know, there's a number of there's a number of uh, features for people. We have career ladders there, over 42 career ladders, and and the career ladders are there because people get into healthcare facilities in a number of different ways. There's just not one path. There are many paths, and so we took um, career ladders that are typical and atypical, and we put them there for vice presidents, facility managers, planning, design, construction. So we have career ladders, we have white papers, we have competencies that are needed, we have blogs and news, Um, we also put our podcasts up there. So there's a number of different um, features there. There's also an option there to join the Career Hub where we will become uh, your personal career advisor including resume assistance, lunch and learns, career and professional level setting sessions, uh, electronic professional profiles. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, I think, you know, Jack and I think it's really the best career value that can be found in the healthcare facilities world. We do this daily. We are in the trenches. Um, You know, a personal favorite of mine, and it's, we do put it into the career hub, is level setting. Um, In our education classes, we have a level setting class, but we also feature it in the Career Hub because, you know, the essence of level setting is if you are working in an organization and you don't know what you're responsible for, it's really difficult to succeed. And I think these days when you have so many competing priorities and it's tough to get time with directors and managers, level setting is critical. So we do yearly level setting. We do it both within your uh, career, but then also professionally as well. Um, where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And maybe you like where you are, and that's good too, but there's still improvement that can be done. So anyways, that's all included uh, on our Career Hub website. So I'd encourage you to check it out. So with that said, let's dive into the 
today's podcast. And so, as I said, I'd look, like to look at five different areas um, for this podcast. Number one, let's start with the market. And then from the market, we'll move to the resume. And then from the resume, we'll move to the interview. And from the interview, we'll move to the deal. And then from the deal, we'll move to the leave. So we'll look at the total life cycle. Um, you know, if you were if you were mapping out a construction schedule, I guess we're going from, uh, you know, groundbreaking, not groundbreaking, through, um, you know, from site work through occupation. And that's the, that's the goal of today's um, podcast. But let's look at, you know, the market first. And obviously, there's a number of things that are going on now within the market. Um, I was just talking to an organization yesterday. And they're still in a holding pattern where they are not um, hiring any folks. Any of the recruitments that we were working on, um, they have stalled as well, and rightly so. Um, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty. So um, I think there is some small movement we've heard with people getting back, but I think uh, from the big picture perspective, still on hold. A lot of organizations um, are waiting, and I'd expect that probably you know, continues through the summer. Um, you know, from our perspective on the candidate level, we've gotten more folks calling us wanting to go um, or interested in a consultant route, whether it's with a consulting firm or even it's not consulting, outsourced service providers with an Aramark or, or a Crothall. So it's an interesting time. I think candidates like organizations are looking for stability, and I don't know that there's a lot of that out there right now. What's interesting, you know, you overlay the market and, and pre-COVID, it was definitely a uh, job seekers market. Uh, there was opportunity. People were willing to move. People, some candidates had multiple options, two or three options. Um, from a salary perspective, most were getting hired at the midpoint and above, usually at the top end of the range. Uh, so it was a great market pre-February or pre-March 1st, I guess, for the job seeker. There was lots of opportunity. And everybody that we were working with, you know, from the, um, on the HR side who were seeking candidates, we stressed that you really have to move quickly um, because if you see somebody you like, they may get gobbled up. And, and that would happen where you'd like somebody, but the process stretched on a little bit too long or Maybe you started your recruitment after a competitor, and therefore you didn't get the person you wanted. Um, so it was it was a great market for the job seeker. I'd imagine, you know, in the new reality, um, probably salaries are going to go down. Um, you know, to a midpoint, uh, there may not be as much opportunity. And I'm also interested, and I've talked to some candidates. You know, um, prior to this, people were willing to move across the country. Uh, you know, if if your children were out of the house and it was you and your wife, you and your husband, um, you'd take an opportunity to move. I, I think that may be um, minimized as well coming out. I don't know that people will be as willing to move about the country. And I think location is going to matter more. Now, really, since you know the last five, six, seven years, most candidates have wanted to go south of the Mason-Dixon line. They want to go where it was warmer. That's just natural. Um, and so I'd imagine that's going to continue. But also, you know, the northern tier states that have been particularly hit hard uh, may be difficult to recruit for. You combine cold weather, um, 
around major cities, it may, may be more difficult for those hospitals to entice somebody to move. And also what you have to factor into this market now as well is, you know, the baby boomer generation. And, you know, anybody who works in healthcare facilities management, we've heard it for, I don't know, probably since 2012 or 2013 um, now, but, you know, the boomers are retiring and the boomers are leaving. And that will only, you know, continue. Um, in, in 2018, Pew Research found that 29% of boomers between the age of 65 and 72 were working or looking for work. So that was the largest number ever recorded. 29% uh, of boomers age 65 to 72 were working or looking for work. Boomers, if you don't know, are those folks born between 1946 and 1964. And as we know, baby boomers make up the majority in healthcare facility management positions. Um, and so prior to COVID, um, you know, we would talk with lots of candidates. We would talk to lots of folks who were looking to retire. You know, they were saying within the next couple of years, they were going to retire. They were a little bit tired. You know, they love the profession. They're dedicated to it, as most people are. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you're dedicated to what you do because, um, you know, you don't always get a lot of glory, but it's very important. But prior to this, um, folks were talking about retiring. I would imagine coming out of COVID once, whatever that relative stability is, people who were thinking of retiring are probably going to retire. I mean, it's been a grind for many months now. Um, lots of layoffs impacting healthcare. And I think people are tired. The folks we've talked to have been tired. And, um, you know, if they were thinking of retirement, they'll probably go the route maybe a little quicker. 401ks took a hit. That seems to be bouncing back. So I'd imagine if the nest egg that they had is still relatively intact, um, the plans to retire. So I think there will be another, another thing coming out of this is that there'll be an increase in retirements, I would imagine. So the market is chaotic. It's a chaotic time. But again, if you work in this, you know, if you work in a hospital, you're, you're used to the chaos. Um, and so we'll see what shakes out with the market in the coming months. But I would imagine the summer is probably going to be a time of holding. So from the market, we, we move to the resume and we always get, you know, lots of questions about resumes and we see lots of resumes and that's part of the reason we included it into the career hub, you're always going to get opinions on resumes. Um, you can go out and you can spend a thousand bucks for a person to critique your resume um, and spend a lot of money. They can make it look pretty. They can put colors on it. They can put different fonts on it. They can go um, put pictures on it. And we see it all. Um, and we continue to see it all. But, you know, from our perspective, I think the most important things about your resume and, and when we give resume feedback, we just stress it. You need to be quantifiable and specific. You can have pretty colors, you can have pretty designs, it can look good visually, although I would contend that sometimes people have so many colors and so many designs that it's visually non-appealing and it's distractive from the information. But whatever your resume design is, they need to be quantifiable and it needs to be specific to you. I would imagine that would be the one piece of advice we give out the most, quantifiable and specific. Employers, if you think about it, um, you put a lot of time into your resume. I always hated doing my resume. Um, one of my least favorite things to do, and I think probably because you have to really think things through. In a way, it's almost like doing a paper. 
I much more enjoy giving feedback on resumes and helping others on their resume than I enjoy doing mine. It's a much better position to be. And I, like I said, I enjoy doing this part of it a lot more. But if you think about it, you know, employers spend, you can see statistics, you know, anywhere from six seconds reading a resume. Others say they say 17 seconds, whatever it is, it's not a lot of time. And so, you know, opinions are formed quickly. So you need to, um, you know, you need to make yours stand out. I don't think there's a magic way that you're going to write a resume that's going to guarantee an interview. But, um, you know, when we're talking, I think your most valuable, um, it's like selling a house. You know, you, you try to make that front door. When people walk into your front door, you want them maybe to get hit with the smell of chocolate chip cookies and you want it to be visually appealing. Well, if you look at your resume, the top half of your resume is is the headline. It's above the fold. It's walking through that front door. And one of the things we always stress to people is don't use generic language um, that can be found on any other you know, res, uh, any other resume, you know, high level motivational leader, um, those canned, some of those canned lines, um, you need to hit people right at the top. And, and one of the things we talk about is creating a professional profile, but right at the top with specific quantifiable achievements that are specific to you, really the litmus test. And I, um, I used to do this with mine, the litmus test, you know, you read, you read a bullet, you read a line, you read a description, and, and I would say, Can, could somebody else have written this? And if the answer was yes, somebody else could have written this, then I knew that I wasn't specific enough. I knew that I had to do a better job conveying who I was or what I did. And that usually came back to being a bit more quantifiable, using numbers, using specific achievements, and usually trying, and depending upon what you're going for, um, what role you're going for, from you know VP to a facility manager, or even a you know a, a chief engineer or a you know tradesperson, making sure that the bullets um, reflect the role that you're going for and they're specific to it. You know, some people develop two or three different resumes that they use, and I encourage people to do that. Um, you know, because sometimes Maybe you're going for a, a project manager role, but you're, you know, you're working in facilities. Um, you know, your facilities accomplishments may not hit that PM accomplishment, so maybe you need to incorporate a little more design and construction in there. Um, you know, project management. So you may need two or three different resumes, but I think as you know, as you look at it, um, make sure you're quantifiable and specific. And one of the things we see a lot that people will do um, is they'll take their job description off of the HR job description and they'll put that, you know, in, in the bullets into their resume. And that's, you don't want to do that. Um, you don't want to regurgitate your job description um, into a resume. So you do need to take time and, and it's really, you know, it can be an iter iterative process. One of the things, um, especially in healthcare facilities, sometimes you you know, you're so used to doing what you do, um, you don't really think about it and you don't think about it in depth. We have people who work for large organizations, you know, 4 million, 5 million square foot hospitals with five, six, 700 beds. And I know that they do because I know who they are and I'll see their resume and that's not accounted for in the resume. So it's very important and you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but, you know, to provide a sense of scope, 
because again, the person in HR who's looking at your resume, they may not uh, understand healthcare facilities, what you do on a daily basis. Um, and that's not a criticism of HR because they're responsible for everything. So you need to do your job in conveying scope and size and accomplishment. And again, I just think be specific on the resume. You know, that's so, so key. And I said, you can Google resume help and you'll get a ton of advice. Everybody's got advice on the resume. It's like, well, before baseball, baseball used to be really popular up here in the Boston area. It's not so much anymore, but everybody would say, everybody thinks they can manage the Red Sox and they can't. And I think it's the same thing with a resume. Everybody thinks they can write a resume um, and they give advice, but not everybody can do it well. I know it took, I didn't, uh, you know, it took me a while to, to get the hint. Um, so that's the resume. The interview, you know, in the interview process, let's assume that your resume got you through the door. The interview, I could go on and on and on. Um, there's so much feedback that we hear about interviews, and I'll probably write a blog post on it um, coming up because we do get the feedback. You know, we send folks in um, to an HR department, and, you know, I like to think that when, um, you know, when we send resumes on. Um, we know the people. We know who they are. I think it's one of the uniqueness of, of what we do is that we know a lot of the candidates. We know them personally. Um, and we get a good sense for who people are. And you'll send people in for, for an interview. And um, what comes out, you know, sometimes you'll be like, wow, you just shake your head and say, that doesn't even sound like the same person that I've known for six years. And why is that? Because I think we all get nervous on interviews. The, um, yeah, there was one one story I once heard, a guy went in for an interview, um, and this was not on one of our jobs, but he went in for an interview and he told the HR person or the person who was interviewing that you know, he didn't even really want the job and he didn't get the job. But the weird thing about it was that he did want the job, yet he was so nervous that that came out. Um, so the interview, as we all know, we've all got our interview horror stories. Um, you know, it, it can bring out things in us that we didn't necessarily know. And so I guess I would say, you know, a couple of the interview gutches that we hear, you know, over the years, um, there's a number of them, but I guess the first one would be informality. And I think the, the thing about interviewing that is so difficult is, you know, you're sitting across from a person who you've never met and they're formulating an opinion off you really quickly. But I think your first interview, and even if your style is that of um, you're a people person, you know, you communicate well, you interact well, and that's really what we're looking for in healthcare facilities management, you know, that type of person who's also got the technical knowledge. You always want to make sure, especially as you're meeting people for the first time, that you're not too informal because informality can lose you a job. If you've met somebody for the first time who's interviewing you and you start to spill stuff, that's informal, and even you know the way you talk, it can work against you because what comes out of um, you know that type of feedback is that he was so informal. He didn't even know who I was. So informal. What's he like with others? So informality is one that we hear about quite a bit. So you just want to make sure you know you don't want to be fake. You have to be who you are. You have to be the real you. And but by the same token, you also want to make sure that. Um, you know, as you represent yourself the first time that you don't take, you know, you don't take for granted, you don't take a level of informality that's, 
because uh, that comes with time. You know, it comes as you work in a department, as you work with others, you become more informal. They learn who you are, what you're all about. You don't want to be there on a first interview. Another one we hear about a lot is arrogance versus confidence. And that's a tough one um, because I think that what comes across as arrogance or what comes across as confident can come across as arrogance. And that's a fine line. I've written a couple of blogs on that one. The fine line between being arrogant versus being confident because you do, in a way, you need to have some arrogance in this role. You know, when the when the boiler goes down at three o'clock, or when you have a polar vortex dropping out of Canada, or you got a hurricane that's coming up the coast, or that's in the Gulf of Mexico, or any of the issues that you know you have, you you need to be a confident leader. And at times, you need to be arrogant um, because if you're not, you're not going to succeed. But it's where is that line? And when you're, again, when you're talking to somebody the first or second time, how do you cross that line or, or where do you know to cross that line? I think the use of I, the word I, goes along with the arrogance versus confidence. I think if you use I a lot as opposed to we or team, that can be seen as you being arrogant. You know, you need to use I in an interview. And I tell people that all the time. They'll say, Pete, I don't feel comfortable talking about myself. And I'll say to them, well, if you don't feel comfortable talking about yourself, you're not going to get the job because the interview is when you have to talk about yourself. So if you're not comfortable doing it, get comfortable doing it and practice it. So I think I is very important. But as you talk about I, you need to talk about we and team. So they all go together. We have had you know, feedback that we've received about you know, candidates. And the feedback is, it was always just I. It was always I, and it was never we or the team. So I think, you know, as you think of arrogance versus confidence, think of the use of I and the I of we and team. Another thing that I think is really important that you want to get um, comfortable with is silence. And, you know, we talk about silence a lot. We talk about silence during our classes in the... Um, relative to, you know, manager, employee discussions, level setting, the use of silence, but also in the interview, good interviewers are skilled at getting people to talk and they'll use silence. The interviewer will use silence because most of us are uncomfortable with silence. When there's silence, what do you do? You speak, you try to fill the void. <coughs> Excuse me. So get comfortable with silence. If the interviewer, you know, if you've answered a question and you've answered it completely, and that's all you got to say, then stop and don't talk anymore. Um, and be comfortable sitting there for 10 seconds because the interviewer will, will move on because the interviewer is also using that silence to see if they can learn a little bit more from you. And I guess the last thing, and uh, again, the interview, we could talk a lot about um, the last thing you want to have, and it still amazes me that people don't always do this, have two or three, two to four stories in your back pocket that are quantifiable and that are specific and that show accomplishment on your end. Um, you want to have those, you want to practice them. It sounds ridiculous. I don't know if people still do this, um, but you know, practicing in, in your mirror, um, you know, practicing talking in your mirror before just to get used to the sound of your voice. I know with this podcast, 
I hate listening to them. I cannot stand the sound of my voice, but it's a necessary evil. I don't think anybody likes to hear their voice when it's played back to them. Um, but for the interview, get used to the sound of your voice and practice. And practice what you're going to say. Have those quantifiable. You don't want to be scripted because that's not good either. you got to be who you are. You need to be authentic. Um, but have a couple of stories in your pocket that you can use that are quantifiable. And make sure those are stories that are specific to what they're looking for. You know, what the hospital is looking for, what the system is looking for. Where are your stories that show how you can benefit them? So the interview is obviously, you know, a, a hugely important one. The other one, too, last thing, and I'll stop talking about the interview. And I had a gentleman once who um, told me that he was interviewing and he felt a real good connection. I guess this might go along with the informality that we talked about right at the very beginning. Um, <clears throat> it was the second interview. So we had had. A phone interview, he had gone in once, met with the guy, met with the, it was the system director, went in a second time in-person meeting again. He really felt a connection with this person, um, felt that they had connected. And the, his phone rang during the interview, and he answered it. He said, could you please excuse me? And I mean, he was very polite about it. He didn't just pick it up and answer. He said, could you please excuse me? I've been expecting this call, and he answered it. And... Um, he ended up not getting the job and he felt very, you know, at the end of the interview, he knew he had done the wrong thing. So ditch that phone, you know, ditch the phone. So that's the interview. Um, and let's move on to the deal. So let's assume that the interview's gone well and now you get the deal. Well, as I said at the very beginning, um, the market itself, we're probably going down to midpoints as opposed to high points. I think it's just important to have expectations um, that are in line with the reality of today's environment. Um, I know some folks, everybody's got different triggers. I, I work with a person who, um, you know, he was looking to leave his job, uh, but he had four to five weeks of vacation and he wanted to keep it wherever he was going. It's like, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't usually work that way. You know, if you're leaving an organization, you've built up four weeks of vacation time, five weeks of vacation time. It's unrealistic to expect somebody to give that to you where you go. Now, you can ask, as we tell people all the time, it's the time to ask. I mean, before that deal is struck, you need to advocate for what you want, but you also need to be realistic and you need to be comfortable with hearing no. And if you're not comfortable with hearing no, then you need to be prepared to walk away if it's going to be. You know, that case. So the deal is, a, you know, it's funny. Sometimes people change during the deal process. You go through the resume, you go through the interview, and then you get to the deal and they become a different person. And when I say that, I guess, I mean, they go from easygoing, the easygoing person I interviewed to kind of a hard line. This is the, you know, this is the salary I want. This is where I need to be. And they, they push it. And there is, you can go back and forth with HR departments, but there's also a line that you can't cross. So you always need to know, and this is, you know, sometimes uh, the hospital will, will have us negotiate the deal within their parameters. Sometimes the hospital will do it directly. It just depends on who we're working for. We're happy doing either one, but I'll tell people all the time, you know, you can't push that far. You know, there's always a limit and you, you don't want it. You want something that's fair for you and something that's fair for the hospital. And you want to start off on a good foot, not a bad foot. Um, so, you know, the deal, it is the time to ask. Um, people do change, but you always got to come back to how much do you want to push? Because organizations, again, I think, you know, if you don't always, um, you know, if you're not going from job to job, if you've been in a job for a long time, 
you're just not used to, um, you know, you're not used to the process. But organizations do have standards, and they do have commonality across the board. So they're, you know, they're they're not. Um, they do have parameters, so they can't break the bank for that, you know, perfect candidate. Um, but people will ask me all the time, it's like, well, can I ask for something or can I do this? And yeah, I think that's the important thing to take out of the deal. Um, that's the time to make the request. The worst thing that can they, they can say is no, and that's it. So let's assume that your deal has gone well and now you're leaving. Um, you know, four weeks is customary uh, to give. If you're a director, if you're a manager, whatever you happen to be, you're accountable for a lot at your old job. Um, you know, so two to four weeks, two weeks is, you know, you never want to give less than two weeks. And I have had people give less than two weeks, heard of people who've given less than two weeks. Fortunately, not for jobs we've been working on. And that always, I always say to them, you sure you want to do that? Um, you always want to leave with good feelings. It's a small community out there. What do we have, 5,300 hospitals across the U.S.? Um, there's not a ton of people in it. You know, I think there's um, 12,000 can't remember the number I saw, but there, there's not a ton of people doing this. So it's a small, limited universe of folks. And people know people and people talk. So you, your reputation matters. And you can wreck your reputation just by leaving in a bad manner. Especially if you think about it as community hospitals, as standalone hospitals get gobbled up. You know, you may leave an organization because you don't think it's a good system and you want to go somewhere else. So you leave a big organization, you go to a community hospital. Maybe that community hospital you're working at now gets gobbled up by that organization you just left. So your reputation matters. And so you always want to do the right thing when you're leaving. And you always want to give that, you know, I think four weeks in this role is um, is appropriate. And then maybe you take a week off. But if, you know, the, the organization you're going to, I think they'll respect that. I've never heard an organization push back on that. They understand that you're accountable uh, for quite a bit and that, you know, you just can't pick up and leave. And so, um, you know, that's what I'd say as far as the, the leaving is concerned. So I think that about wraps it up. You know, we've looked at the market. Uh, chaos, I think, is going to reign. Changeability, you got to be flexible. We looked at the resume, you know, clear, concise, specific. We looked at the interview, you know, practice before you go in. Avoid those gutches. We looked at the deal. It's the time to ask. We looked at the leave. You know, you probably want to give four weeks. So there's a lot to it and we live it every day. So I kind of enjoy talking about it. And um, if you have, you know, questions, comments, you can give us a call 508-660-1800 or shoot an email, you know, peter at goslin-associates.com. Jack or I will be happy to speak with you. Check out our career hub, but um, there's a lot going on out there. And I think, you know, if I gave one piece of advice and this is what we're following in our business now too, is you just got to be flexible and you've got to be comfortable with change and just adapt. If you can't adapt, it'll be very difficult because I think we're still in for a bumpy ride. So I appreciate you listening. If you have um, if you have suggestions for your future podcast, feel free to reach out to me. But again, this is uh, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. Thanks for listening to the High Reliability Podcast. Have a great day.